All right, it's time for our children's sermon. So if you are a child, I want you to come up here and have a seat right on the floor with me right here. All right, come on up here. Okay. All right, hi. Oh, thanks, buddy. All right, so this is the time we have a special message for our kids. If you're visiting with us and you brought kids, they're welcome to come up here if they want to. Is this everybody? I think this is everybody that wants to be here. All right. I have a song for you guys. I want you to listen to this very old nursery rhyme very carefully and tell me if it's correct. All right? Can you do that? Ready? Drive, drive, drive your car gently down the street. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Is that correct? How's it go? You did it perfectly. That's exactly how it goes. Oh, you got to clap for that. How about this one? I want to tell you a story about 10 big grown up pigs and the big bad bear. Have you heard? Is that how the story is? Is that the name of the story? 10 big grown up pigs and the big bad bear. Is that, is that right? What's the story? What is the story? Three little pigs and the big bad wolf. So it's important when we tell a story to get everything right, right? You know, it's very, very important when we tell people the gospel story or the story about Jesus that we get everything right, right? What do you guys know about the gospel? What, let's see if we can put our heads together and, and, and come up with a story about Jesus. So, who is Jesus? Let's start with that. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. That word means Savior. You got it. Savior of the world. That's right. Who sent Jesus? God the Father sent Jesus. Did Jesus live on this earth? Yes. Was he a person? Yeah. And he was, was he God too? Yeah. Did Jesus make a lot of mistakes or did he live a perfect life? Jesus lived a perfect life. Now, did Jesus uh, one day grow really old and just die, or how did what happened with Jesus? But before he did that, what did he do? Oh, he did pray in a garden. That's true. He was crucified on the cross. Do you know why he went to the cross? Why did he give his life? Yeah. That's true. Yes, you, all of that is true. Jesus died on the cross because of, what, because of what? Our sins to provide salvation for us from our sins. And then did Jesus just die on that cross and then were they, was he buried in the ground and he just stay in the ground? Is, was he, is he dead? Nope. What happened? He resurrected on the third day. That's pretty amazing, right? All right. Jesus resurrected on the third day. And then he walked around on the earth for a while, and then what happened? Where'd he go? He ascended to be in heaven with the Father, and then he's going to stay up there forever. Is that what happens? No. What? What's going to happen? What's going to happen someday? He's going to come back, right? 
He's going to come back, and one day we're going to go to be with him in heaven. That's the gospel, right? You guys did it. You brought it together. And so today, I'm going to teach the church about the true gospel, and the word of the day today is the word gospel, all right? I'm so glad you guys came up and helped me tell the story about Jesus. You can go sit down. Thank you. All right, church, I want to invite you to take out a copy of the Word of God with me this morning. Open it up to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. We're going to talk about the true gospel. We have to make sure that we tell people the correct story about Jesus. Someone hearing and responding to the true gospel is literally something that will change not only their life, but eternity. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. Our first point is that we need to preach the whole gospel. Look at verse 23 with me. Acts 18, beginning in verse 23. After spending some time there, he set out traveling through one place after another in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. So this is speaking of the Apostle Paul, who had uh, finished his second missionary trip where he went and strengthened some disciples and also went about preaching the gospel in new cities where they hadn't yet heard about Jesus. He made his way back to Jerusalem, then to Antioch, his sending church, And upon arriving at Antioch, he spent some time with them there. And that's where we catch up in verse 23. He left that area and went to Galatia. And this is a region west of Antioch. So essentially what Paul's going to do now on his third missionary journey is he's going to go about strengthening current believers whom he's ministered to before as well as preaching the gospel to new people who haven't yet heard the gospel. He will essentially travel over 1,000 miles to visit a place called Ephesus. Now, before Paul arrived in Ephesus, and that's where we're going to meet up with Paul next in this text, the, the writer Luke sort of gets to Ephesus now before Paul does, and he's going to talk to us about this preacher named Apollos. And that's where we catch up in the, in the um, text here in verse 24, to this man named Apollos. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who is competent in the use of the Scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, in spirit, not the Spirit, fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew, nothing, or knew only of John's baptism. So Apollos, by the original language that we see here in the Greek, we learn that he was a very good speaker. He was was exciting. He was knowledgeable of the Scriptures. And so people listened to what he had to say. He was a passionate speaker, and he preached to the people about this messianic prophecy of this man, Jesus, who would one day come. Apollos' message, however, was incomplete. Look at verse 25. It says, he knew only of John's baptism. So, this is an interesting time in the history of the church. The gospel about Jesus had not yet proliferated that area, the Mediterranean area and the Middle Eastern area of the world. And so, 
John's gospel, the Baptist John, who was sent before Jesus by God to go and prepare the way for the Messiah, that had reached many of the areas in this region. And so John came before Jesus telling people, listen, you need to repent of sin and you need to prepare your heart for the Messiah who will one day come. And that message has sort of gotten out into the area around the region that uh, Paul and that Apollos is now visiting. Not everyone had heard yet that the Messiah had actually come and that his name was Jesus, that he gave his life to uh, uh, suffered and gave his life as an offering for sin and forgiveness of sin, that he had died and that he had rose again. Not everyone had heard that message yet. They had not all heard the full and complete gospel. Some have only heard part of the gospel, the gospel that John came preaching to repent of sin and prepare your heart for the Messiah to one day come. Apollos knew only about the baptism of repentance that John the Baptist had commanded the Jews to engage in as preparation for the Messiah. But his theological understanding about Jesus and the process of salvation for Jesus was incomplete. And so Apollos probably didn't know about the indwelling Holy Spirit who comes into all believers when they repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, which John the baptizer actually prophesied about in John chapter 2. So Apollos is preaching the message about the coming Messiah. Verse 26 continues. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And so you remember Priscilla and Aquila, they were in Ephesus. They were brought by the Apostle Paul to Ephesus. Um, Paul left them there so they could continue to minister to those in that city. So uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they go, they hear this new guy, Apollos, preaching this incomplete message. So he doesn't have the full gospel. And so what do they do? They sit down with him. And they explain the way of God to him more accurately. So they don't embarrass him publicly. They kind of take him to the side and say, listen, Apollos, brother, you, you are a, a wonderful speaker. You're a, a charismatic teacher and people are listening to you. And what you're teaching is true, but you don't have the full story. You've got like the first four chapters, but there's like three more that you don't know about. And so they sat down and they explained all of what had happened. The full gospel. Verse 27, when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he was of great help to those who by the grace of God had believed. For he vigorously refuted Jews and the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So Apollos must have received their instruction. He must have been eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and had in fact heard that his name was Jesus, that Jesus had come, given his life, died on the cross, was buried in the ground, rose again on the third day, uh, uh, walked with them for over 40 days, and then of course Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit falls down upon believers. He hears all of this and I'm sure receives it 
with open arms and an excited spirit. He leaves Ephesus and goes to a place called Achaia, and more specifically to a city named Corinth. So what we see is the believers in Ephesus sending him away um, sort of with a letter uh, vouching for him, saying, this guy's a believer, you should welcome him, you should let him preach among you because he knows the gospel, and Apollos goes there and preaches the gospel. And we learn later in uh, Paul's book to the Corinthian church, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, that he did in fact lead people to the Lord. And so he had much fruit in the city of Corinth. Now, this narrative about Apollos' learning the whole story about Jesus reminds us of something. It's important for us to teach and preach the whole gospel. Because it is the whole gospel, upon hearing the whole gospel, the whole story of Jesus, that teaches someone how they can repent and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I can't think of a better time in a message than right now to share with you the whole gospel. This is the way that we teach the gospel here at Fifth Street Baptist Church. We use three circles. Now the first circle, you guys can bring that up on the screen if you would. The first circle. There it is. God designed the world and everything in it. God designed everything you see, everything that you experience, all the vegetation, the beauty that we have here in Key West. More importantly, God designed you to have a relationship with Him. God designed you for a purpose. All people were created by God to worship Him and to give Him glory, to follow His commandments. Our struggle, however, as people, is we don't always want to do what God designed us to do, right? Anybody attest to that? If you got kids, you can, you can amen, right? Well, we don't always want to do what God calls us to do, and so sometimes we deviate from God's design for our lives. Sometimes we don't follow what God calls us to do, and, and the Bible calls that sin. So there's only one problem there. There's a consequence to our sin. When we deviate from God's design and the way he he designed us to live and and to to serve and and to worship, when we sin against him, that leads to brokenness. We weren't designed to live in brokenness. God God designed us for a purpose. He wants us to have joy and peace and and to to live in an unbroken relationship with him. And, And so because we weren't made to be broken, You see, by those arrows, we look for ways as people, apart from Christ, before we know Christ, we look for ways to fix that, right? We we don't want to be broken, so we kind of look for some ways to kind of fix that on our own. And I know in my own life, I I tried to do that before I knew Christ. I I tried to fill that void, you know, with alcohol. I would go out on Friday nights and party with my friends, and man, sometimes that was a real good time. But you know, the hangover came every Saturday morning. Every morning, every Saturday morning, the headache came, the, the, the sickness in my stomach. And, and worse than that, that feeling of unfulfillment, uh, of purposelessness, that, that came with it. Well, then I thought maybe, you know, maybe I could just, if I just achieve more and maybe make a little bit more money, I'll, I'll fill that void. I, I won't be broken anymore because I'll have the things I want. And there were times in my life when, when God gave me some really spectacular things. And, you know, I would have that thing. And you know what that led to usually? The next thing. And then when I had that thing, you know what then I wanted? 
the next thing. And, and I came to realize I, I really wasn't going to fill that void that was in my heart with things. And I always thought maybe, maybe this is you or was you. Maybe if I just had that next relationship, the next person who would complete me. And that relationship led to the next relationship, led to the next relationship. I just couldn't find that person who would complete me. And then, you know, God put some, some men in my life, and they told me about Jesus. They shared the gospel with me. That all sin falls short of the glory of God. That, that God designed me for a purpose, but in my sin, I separated myself from God. But God loved me so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and die a perfect death on the cross. On that cross, he received the wrath of God for my sin. Jesus' blood was poured out as an atonement or covering for my sin. It's as if I was on that cross receiving the wrath of God for what I had done wrong. Jesus died on that cross. He was buried in the ground. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the Scripture, conquering death and sin and Satan's power over humanity so that anyone who would repent and believe in the Gospel they could be saved. And when we repent and believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're forgiven of our sins. And God does something miraculous and amazing in your life and in my life, in anybody's life who does this. He allows us to recover and pursue His design for our lives. That's the gospel. If this is the first time you've really heard this with your ears and with your heart, at the end of our service, I'm going to invite you to come down and I'm going to show you how you can make that decision to follow Jesus. But there's a danger when the whole gospel isn't presented. Especially in the Western church today, Western America. I've seen three particular things happen in ministries or circumstances when the gospel is not presented clearly and fully and biblically. The first one, what we like to do is we like to cut corners. If you guys could put the three circles back up, they're all complete. Perfect. Thank you. When we cut corners, when we don't present the whole gospel, one of the first things we like to do is we like to discount or remove the fact that we sin, right? Because we don't like to hear that, right? We don't want to hear that we make mistakes, if you don't believe that you've got a problem admitting your mistakes, ask a friend or a person around you if you've got a problem with that. They'll tell you the truth. Our first problem is we don't recognize our sin for what it is. To truly understand and, and follow Jesus as our Savior, we first have to understand that we need to be saved. You have to admit that you sin, that you deviate from God's plan for your life. And, and that's one of the dangers. We like to sort of soft soften up our sin. No, our sin is real. It's legitimate. How do I know that? Because the Son of God died on the cross for your sin, for mine. That's how serious it is. God died on a cross to save you from your sin. Second thing, when we don't present the full gospel, we tend to uh, refuse to accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. We like Jesus the Savior, right? That's really good news, right? We like Jesus the Savior. Maybe it's easy for us to recognize, yeah, I need to be saved. I'm in big trouble. Please save me, Jesus. 
What comes along with that, with a full presentation of the gospel, is receiving him and following him as Lord. That's the part we struggle with sometimes. What does that mean? That he's the boss. That means we do what Jesus says. That means when we figure out that we did something that he doesn't like, that we turn away from that and we turn back toward him and his will for our lives. But we don't like Jesus to be the boss, right? Who do we like to be the boss? Me. You, right? You want to be the boss. So when we fail to present a whole gospel, oftentimes we fail to present the lordship of Jesus. And then third, the third thing I see happening in Western Christianity when we fail to present the full gospel, is we fail to pursue godliness. You see the, the, the third arrow there on the way to God's design, recover and pursue. A call to follow Jesus is a call to godliness. It's a call to disciplining my life with, of course, the help of the Holy Spirit who dwells within me and the Word of God and my brothers and sisters in, in our church, it's a call to follow a path of righteousness. Now, it doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, because we will. And our God's quick to forgive the repentant sinner. But it does mean when I, when I make a decision, I'm going to turn from sin, I'm going to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. That means I'm committing my life to increasing in godliness, to a process called sanctification, becoming more like Christ. The way I was last year shouldn't be the same I am this year. The way I'm going to be next year should be more like Christ than I was two years ago. The full gospel teaches us what God's called us to, what real, true Christianity is. Now, when, when someone hears the gospel, repents of sin, and trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will, because of what happens inside of them, be changed. They will demonstrate their faith in Jesus by the way they live. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Look at, um, we're now in chapter 19. We finished up 18. We're moving into, in, into chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul arrives in Ephesus and meets some disciples. These aren't necessarily Christians. They're, they're disciples of John. In fact, it turns out that, that they're following what John the Baptist taught. They had not yet heard the full gospel. Paul asked them about the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised would come and indwell all people who repent of sin and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. You can see that in Romans 8, verse 9. They hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit because they had not yet heard the full gospel. The folks hadn't proceeded past John the Baptist's message that, that they should repent and prepare their hearts because one day a Messiah is going to come. One scholar writes, they had not yet heard of Jesus' death and resurrection and the event at Pentecost. And this proclamation of John had been fulfilled by Christ. So John was proclaiming that one day a Messiah would come, and that's kind of all they heard. They, they were waiting for a Messiah. 
They had not heard about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who had been poured out. They were unaware of what happened in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts chapter 2. And so Paul continues in verse 3. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. So these disciples, they were still eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. Paul had some good news for them. He did come, and his name is Jesus. At this point, I believe Paul took the time to sort of share with them the rest of the story, right? So, so they had the first four chapters of, of the story about Jesus. And then Paul arrived and said, listen, let me tell you about the next couple chapters here. So Paul goes into detail with them, I'm sure, about Jesus' miraculous life, his fulfillment of messianic prophecy that they knew about in the Old Testament, his sacrificial death, His resurrection from the dead, and then the events at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and now how that gospel has gone out in the world, and how there's churches all over the place worshiping Jesus. Verse 5 continues, when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophecy. Now, there were about 12 men in all. They had taken John's message to heart, and they had prepared themselves to welcome the Messiah. So when they heard the gospel of Jesus, the people quickly responded by faith in the message that Paul shared. They immediately demonstrate their faith by being baptized. Their baptism is a public demonstration of their intentions to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. These new believers immediately received the Holy Spirit. And in this instance, they spoke in tongues and were prophesied, which we see in the first century church as as a demonstration or a sign that what is being shared is legitimate and from God. The new believers receive the Holy Spirit, and they demonstrate their faith in Jesus through water baptism by immersion. The interaction between Paul and these new believers demonstrates something important for us to know. True believers demonstrate their faith in Jesus by the way they live. We don't earn our salvation by good works. We do good works because we are saved. How do we really know if someone is a believer? Maybe you ask that question of yourself. How do I really know if my faith in Jesus is legitimate? All of us, I think, ask that question at one point or another. Is that person really a Christian? Is the decision that I made 20 years ago, was that real? Well, I want to give you some encouragement today. I want to give you some conviction today. How do we know? How do we know if we're really saved? Well, the Bible gives us four signs that tell us. You know, no one really knows if another person is saved. That's between them and the Lord. 
But as believers, as discerning Christians, God gives us some ways to know. And I think these were intended for two reasons. They were both intended to encourage believers walking with Jesus to remind us, yes, I am born again. I'm a follower of Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, you can settle on that foundation. Even when you make a mistake, you can turn from that sin and and know that you're not forsaken by God, but that God loves you and that God's willing to forgive you and and bring you back into right fellowship with Him and His family. And and it's it's also intended, this teaching is also intended for the one who's walked away from Christ Christ, who's not living in accordance with His Word to to convict your heart and to bring you back. And then finally, it's meant for those that are not yet Christians to hear this truth and to be drawn to faith in Jesus. And so I hope that this will do one of those three things for you today. As we see these 12 disciples, these 12 men who had not yet heard the full gospel, hearing it and then receiving it and demonstrating it in their life by baptism, so too should we demonstrate our faith in Jesus through what he's called us to do with our lives. So I'm going to give you four things. How do we know that we know that we're a Christian? First, you should have a testimony about the moment when you heard the gospel, read the gospel, saw it in a video, you turned from your sin and you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now for some people that, that happens in an amazing moment where you were really, really messed up and your life was really in shambles and you decided, I want to turn from all this and follow Jesus. And it was dramatic. And that's awesome. Praise the Lord. That's what my life was like. Others of you that happened gradually over time But today, if I ask you, have you turned from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? You're like, amen, yes. You should have a testimony like that. If you don't, I want to help you have that testimony. Number one, Jesus said in John 3, we need to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And that's what it means to be born again. Turn from sin, trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the first point of encouragement. Number two, if you are a Christian, your life is guided by the Holy Spirit and not by your flesh. This one's going to step, take your feet, tuck them under the pew so I don't step on your toes. You ready? Your life is guided by the Holy Spirit and not your flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. The Apostle Paul tells us how the life of a believer and a non-believer are guided by different things. First, If you're a Christian, you don't live according to the flesh. You might have occasional setbacks. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. That's not what this is talking about. He's saying here, if your life is characterized by these things, you are probably not a believer. Look at Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if your life is characterized by any of those things that I just mentioned, that means that you're being led through life by the flesh and not by the Spirit. You either, need, you either know that you're doing that 
You either have the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your heart, you need to repent of that, come back to Christ, or you're not yet saved and you need to turn away from that and turn to Jesus. If you are a believer, you'll live a life according to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All believers we know, once they turn from sin, trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, receive the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen. Isn't that awesome? God is so good. That's the third person of the Trinity. That's God himself who comes and dwells within you. Now, because we have that Holy Spirit living within us, believers, there should be fruit from that. His work inside of you should produce fruit in your life. That's what Paul writes about next. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, or the consequences of the Holy Spirit living within you, should produce these types of things. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, right? We crucified the flesh. So we're not, we're not in bondage to our flesh. We don't follow our flesh anymore. We follow the Holy Spirit who lives within us. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, we don't always show that fruit perfectly at all times, right? We, we're not perfect at that. But what he's saying here is your life over time will be characterized by a demonstration of that kind of fruit, you won't help but to have that in your life because you have God's Spirit living within you. That's the second point. How do I know if I'm a believer? Number three, you love Jesus and you obey His commandments. How do I know if I'm saved? Do I love Jesus? Am I obeying His commandments? Am I following the Word of God in the way I live my life? Where does it say that, preacher? Oh, it says it in John 14, 15, the words of Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty clear. What about 1 John 3, 10? This is how God's children and the devil, devil's children become obvious. So he's saying, how, how do we know the difference? Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. All right, number four and finally, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm a Christian? We will love our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 4.21 says, And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. That means there's no room in our heart to hate other believers in Christ. Now, we should love all people, of course, but specifically this text is talking about the love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Some of you needed to hear that today just to be encouraged in your faith, right? You needed to hear. You're, you're maybe struggling. Maybe you've made mistakes in the past. And I know, as a fellow mistake maker, that the enemy will come and sow seeds of doubt based on your mistakes. And what we do is quote back Scripture that God, give, God gives grace to the humble. That God forgives the repentant sinner. And so look back to texts like this and be encouraged. 
that you're a born-again believer, that you've been adopted in the family of God, that God has a purpose for your life, and walk out that purpose, all right? Be encouraged by that. Be strong in that. Let that increase your faith. For those of you that that have made that decision, you would say, I remember the day that, that I turned from sin and trusted in Jesus, but, but preacher, the, the stuff you read there in Galatians, that characterized my life. I'm living life, now following my flesh. There's no day like today. There's mo- no moments like now for you to turn from that life and to turn back to Jesus. If you're, if you're really saved and you're living a life in, a, in, in accordance with the flesh, if you're living a life and disagreeing with the Word of God, this is what I know. You probably know it. And you probably feel a conviction in your heart. You all know what that conviction's like, right? You all ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit? That's really not pleasant. The discipline from the Lord is not pleasant. But that comes with, with a promise and a blessing. That if you just turn away from that, turn back to Jesus, you'll be forgiven. You'll receive the joy and the peace that comes from being in fellowship with, with Father. So some of you just need to turn away from that sin, that, that lifestyle, and come back. You need to just come home. Come on back. Come on home. The water's warm. And some of you, you're hearing this, and, and maybe you feel like, you know, I don't think there was that moment in my life where I turned to Christ. I, I need to do that. Like I said before, in a little while, a few minutes, we're all going to stand and sing a song together. There's going to be a chance for you to come down. And for me to walk you through making that decision to follow Jesus. So church, we got to be careful. we got to preach the whole gospel. Don't lighten it up. Don't, don't make it um, correct in, in, in our culture. Politically correct. Don't make it, you know, sinner correct. Don't make it easy for somebody to hear. Preach the legitimate gospel in love. And trust in the Holy Spirit to do the work. Also, true believers are going to demonstrate their faith by the way they live. Finally, in these last couple minutes, I I want to finish up with this. Keep your eyes up and look toward the harvest. All right, let's let's look at the rest of our text. Look at verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue. He's in Ephesus here. And he spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some some became hardened... And would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So Paul does a little bit of work with these 12 disciples, right? God sent them to them first. And then he goes into the synagogue and he starts to preach the gospel there. He's three months every uh, Sabbath preaching and teaching the gospel. Over time, many of the people in that group start to get hardened toward the gospel. What that means is they're no longer really interested in what Paul has to say. You've probably kind of seen this if you ever watch a show where they like, you know, a political show where like three people talk about their views, right? It become obvious that no one really listens to anybody else, right? They just, I've got these like 10 things I'm going to say. Whatever you said, I don't care. I'm going to say it. That's, that's evidence that they're really not interested in, in the conversation. That's what's going on here. As Paul continues to share the gospel, Sabbath after Sabbath, he comes to realize, okay, these guys aren't interested in what I'm saying here. They're just trying to talk over me. And worse yet, it says there that they start to slander the way. What's interesting is in the first generation 
um, the first century, the first generation of the church, they called Christianity, it, it got this nickname as being the way. It was called the way because it was a way of life. It was a way you lived. Because being a disciple is about how we live. It's about the decisions we make. It's about how we speak. It's something that encapsulates everything we do. Oh, that we would be called people of the way because of the way we live our lives. And so these people in, in, the, in the synagogue had gotten hard-hearted. So as Paul starts to preach and teach the gospel, their hearts are hardened, and so they actually begin slandering, which means just lying about what Paul is saying. He's quoting Scripture. They're lying about Scripture. Their hearts are hard. They're no longer listening. Then they actually start slandering and causing people to drift away from what Paul is trying to convince people to believe as he preaches the gospel. So what Paul does then is he leaves them and goes out into a new place, uh, a lecture hall of Tyrannus, um, and starts preaching the gospel. Now, I don't want this to fall on deaf ears. Look at what Luke reports in verse 10. All the residents of Asia... A whole region from Ephesus, from the, from the nucleus of Ephesus, people go out from there, start preaching the gospel so that all people have a chance to hear the gospel, Jews and Gentiles alike. That's pretty amazing. So Paul looked to the harvest. He spent time in the synagogue with his Jewish brethren and sisters telling them about Jesus, when they wholeheartedly reject, he went out to the people, as he often did, and he proclaimed the gospel. Now, what does that have to do with you? We need to go about doing the business of the Lord with our eyes on the harvest. Share the gospel. Boldly proclaim what Jesus has done in your life to anyone and everyone who will listen. That's his call. That's God's call upon our lives. Be patient and leave room for the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts, right? You don't draw anybody to Jesus. Your job is just to tell them about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the heavy lifting. He's the one that draws them, that convicts their heart. After some time, if you notice that someone you're sharing with over and over again becomes hardened to the gospel... Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Perhaps God's called you to move on to other people. Not forsaking them. We're still praying for them. But if they've heard the gospel and they're not interested, are there others in your life who need to hear as well? Move on to them. Keep them on your prayer list. Keep praying for them. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, opening doors for you to share later. But don't be afraid to move on to others who have not yet heard. And perhaps over time, God will soften their hearts. Be sensitive to the Lord's leading to share with that person again as he leads. I want to give you two examples, and then I'm going to close. I have people in my life with whom I've been sharing. The, I was saved in 2000, it's 2022. I've been telling them about Jesus for 22 years. Now, at the beginning, when I was first saved, I shared with them regularly. Often I would call, often I would write letters, often I would visit and talk to them about Jesus. And over time I noticed that their hearts really just became hardened to the Lord. Now, I, I love those people and I still pray for them and I'm waiting for God to open up a door. But if I spent all my time just with them, what about these other people in my life that God brought to me who need to hear the gospel? 
And so I pray for them, and I'm sensitive to God opening doors. But in 22 years, God's brought a whole lot of other people into my life. And I've shared the gospel with them. Many of them have gotten saved. Some of them have rejected, and they're still in my life, and they're still hard to the gospel, so I still pray for them. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is don't feel like you have to spend all of your time on the ones who are hardened to the gospel. Paul didn't. Be sensitive to the Spirit and be prepared to move on. Keep your eyes on the harvest and be aware of those with whom or in whom God is working and be prepared to tell them about Jesus. God is a faithful God. We, we've been singing that song. That was our last song that we sang before, before my sermon. Great is His faithfulness. Do you believe that God is faithful? God is faithful. God, God is faithful. He always fulfills His promises. Every single thing that God ever promised since the beginning of time, He fulfilled perfectly or will fulfill perfectly in one day. The day that our relationship with God was lost in the Garden of Eden, God made a promise that He would make things right. And He did. The day that you were born, God knew who you were perfectly. God sent His Son to die for you on a cross. God desires for you to turn from your sin and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. God desires for you to, to live a wonderful, joyful, peaceful life by a joy and a peace that comes from Him and not from this world. Do you believe that that God is faithful and can bring that into your life? Are you willing to turn from the things of this world and to follow the commandments that Jesus gave to us in His Word? Because you believe that he's faithful to fulfill what he's promised to you. Are you willing to do the hard things because they give glory to God? Are you willing to take a step across the, the street, across the aisle, to take a, a trip across your yard and to proclaim the gospel with somebody who needs to hear it? Do you believe that God's faithful to save the lost? That's our God. He's a faithful God. Now, I don't know what God's doing in your heart today. Maybe you're doubting God's faithfulness. Maybe you don't believe that he can use you to share the gospel. Maybe you've made mistakes and you don't believe that, that he can use you. Maybe you think, I've, I've, I've done too many things. I'm useless. That is not true. If you have breath in your lungs, if your heart is beating... You can, one, be saved, and two, you can be used by God for a glorious, glorious purpose. The problem is, you just don't believe that he can use you for that purpose. Now, I'm here to tell you today that our God is faithful, and he will use you for amazing things if you would step out in faith and allow him to do that. Maybe today you need to be saved. In just a minute, everybody's going to stand up. We're going to sing a song together. This is your invitation Come forward and hear the gospel. Come forward and receive Jesus. Ask him to turn your life around and he will. Maybe you've wandered from the faith. Maybe you've been living a life according to the flesh. And today's the day for you to turn that around, to repent and come back to Christ, come back to the family of God. Or maybe you just need to praise God today because he's so good. Anybody need to praise God today? Anybody? Okay, we got a few. Okay. All right. Some of you don't need to praise God. That's okay. Maybe later you'll feel compelled to do that. 
We're going to have a time of, invita- of an invitation. This is a moment of decision for you, an opportunity for you to take a step of faith, to step out, and to do whatever God's called you to do. Would you all stand with me? I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray over this congregation. I pray over us, your church. Help us to remember, God, that you are faithful. In fact, great is your faithfulness. From the beginning and the middle and to the end, you are faithful. I pray over this moment of decision that you would move among us, that the lost would be compelled to take a step of faith and be saved, that the ones who have wandered from the faith would feel compelled to take a step and repent and come back to the family, and that those, Lord, that are walking with you would be compelled to celebrate you and your name and praise you because of what you have done and you are doing and you will do in our lives. Let this be a moment of praise, of salvation, of conviction. Use this, I pray, Lord, to give yourself honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray.